2: Remember that time of year when things get distinctly festive here at Naked Oceans. Last year we bought you the 12 critters of Christmas and this year we have for you our ocean friendly gift guide. So if you're looking for ideas for presents for ocean loving family and friends then look no further. We've got it all here for you. You can have your very own piece of virtual coral reef, buy eco friendly pets and even send some fishy e-cards. Now, I've not lost hope. I'm a positive, optimistic kind of fish. I'll also be recommending my top ocean book from the year, which I think makes the perfect Prezi. Hello, I'm Helen Scales, and with me is Sarah Caster-Perry.
3: Hello. We'll be keeping things spick and span in Critter of the Month as we ask another marine expert, if you were a marine species, which would you be and why?
0: It provides such a useful service that even though it in of itself is a bite-sized meal, it can enter into the mouths of predatory fishes like groupers and snappers with impunity.
3: Keep listening to find out which marine expert that was and which critter they picked. If you want to get in touch, you can tweet us and follow us at Naked Oceans on Twitter, or you can email us. The address is NakedOceans at scientist.com.
4: Supported by the Save Our Seas Foundation, this is Naked Oceans, on the web at nakedscientist.com slash oceans.
2: Well, welcome to my living room. Sarah's come round, we're enjoying some mulled wine, some mince pies and we've got the fire going. So the scene is well and truly set for this Christmassy episode of Naked Oceans as we give you some of our ideas for presents for all your ocean-loving family and friends. So here is the Naked Oceans gift guide for the festive season. Um Sarah quick question, have you started your Christmas shopping yet?
3: Mm, yeah, sort of. I've I've done a few bits and pieces, but I think uh I, I try to be organised and then I suddenly go, oh, ah, it's a week until Christmas, how did this happen? And then I have to do it all in a panic. But I've I've got quite a few secret Santa type things to buy this year. So I think, actually, I've got, I've got some good ideas from the things that we've been covering for the podcast, actually.
2: Fantastic. And yeah, something about um, being spontaneous, I think, is good. But uh, anyway, um, I'm useless as ever. I've done absolutely nothing. Um, but I did rush out and buy a Christmas tree at the first possible moment. Hooray! It looks lovely. It's beautiful. It is isn't it? It's just gorgeous. So, um, I think we're ready to go. Let's get cracking with our guide to ocean friendly prezzies. And where better place to start than giving someone a piece of coral reef? No, not actually a chunk of coral, that's really not a good idea, but a virtual piece of reef that you're helping to protect. So, you can do this by making a donation to the conservation group WWF's My Coral Triangle campaign. The Coral Triangle is one of the hottest hotspots of ocean biodiversity on the planet. The corners of the triangle are formed by the countries Indonesia, the Philippines and the Solomon Islands. It covers some 6 million square kilometres of sea and it's home to over 600 species of hard corals, six of the world's seven species of sea turtle and all sorts of other marine life. Well, like many other coral reefs around the world, the Coral Triangle is facing many threats like climate change, ocean acidification... And overfishing and uh, we've talked about quite a few of those issues um, in our reefs at risk special which you can still listen to at thenakedscientist.com forward slash specials and as i found out from WWF's leader petsuda in bali it's not just about wildlife but there are many people who live in the coral triangle too around the coastlines of the countries in the Coral Triangle, there are thousands
1: and thousands, millions, in fact, of people that live there, and they don't have anything else to do. They wake up in the morning, they look at the ocean, they go out, they have to go catch a fish. And what we estimated is that actually as much as 120 million people inside the Coral Triangle are depending one way or another on these marine and coastal ecosystems. So many of those, of course, are fishermen. But you also have to think about people that are, you know, selling fish in the markets and, of course, people that are uh, engaged in the tourism industry, which is still growing. So uh, it it, it is an incredible uh, resource for people living in these countries themselves.
2: And uh, I guess not all of us are, are lucky enough to have the chance to visit the beautiful reefs of the Coral Triangle. But this area is still important for all of us, isn't it? And you at WWF are running a campaign to get everyone helping to, to protect the Coral Triangle.
1: It's true. The Coral Triangle is very important for people who live here. They can't go anywhere else. So so it is critical that together with the governments and the people who live in the Coral Triangle, we, uh, we try to preserve at least part of this area. And also we try to reduce, you know, bad practices in, in, in fisheries. But um, a lot of the seafood that you, you would have available in Europe, uh, especially tuna, but, but a couple of the, the tropical uh, reef fishes also are exported to the united states that actually uh, makes that connection between people who don't live here but who actually increasingly for for you know their seafoods are uh, are depending on the coral triangle and um we've started a campaign um which in fact has two objectives one is to uh you know raise awareness tell stories uh to the world about the coral triangle you know really there there are good um activities underway by local communities by conservation groups such as WWF and the governments of the coral triangle are also really starting to uh make this a priority but the other objective is to try and um and motivate people to take a little bit of an action and support some of the work that we can do here. So we launched a micro triangle, which uh, first of all actually is aiming at people here in Asia. Uh, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, people are not used to provide support for charity uh, in the you know, environmental um, realm. We think that uh, people in the Coral Triangle and and countries around it do care where their seafood comes from, and especially the younger generation are really keen to, you know, dive and and have a beautiful uh, holiday experience. So we're really keen to get, uh, you know, to get to those people live around around the Coral Triangle itself, but we're also very keen to uh, to raise the attention of the world to how special this place is, and in fact. You know, maybe uh, the tuna sandwich that you're going to have for lunch today may come from these very waters here.
2: And you mentioned that there are some great positive stories and, and some of the work that uh, that the WWF and other groups are doing.
1: WWF is working with a lot of uh, different partners and um, we have a long history of working with communities on the ground and field projects. But I want to mention actually um, a more recent uh, example of some, of some really good action. We're working here with um, a local fish trader and he's a young man, uh, 35 years old. In his um, education, he's travelled the world... And- and he, he has seen some of the uh, aspects of, uh, you know, responsible seafood choice and, and thinking about the environment. So what he's doing here. He buys seafood that he exports to Hong Kong and China, and also he's interested to start exporting to Europe and, and Australia. But the fishers that he's buying from, he has asked them to only use legal fishing gear to catch only those fish that are already uh, mature. But also, he's actually right now working with us to protect the fish spawning aggregation sites, and those areas he's very keen to protect because he realizes that if the fishermen would empty out those places, that are critical for the reproduction and the regeneration, if if you will, of these fish populations, that his business is also not going to sustain. There you have an example from a private sector, uh, you know, a businessman uh, who is wanting and, and he needs to make money, but he's actually educating the fishermen from which he buys. Uh, to only, uh, you know, catch the fish that are old enough and big enough through, uh, you know, the website. We also like to see if if the world can meet people like this, like this fish trader and, and many of the other people that are doing really good
2: work. That was Lida Petsuda from WWF Indonesia and you can find out more about WWF's work across the Coral Triangle and choose a spot of virtual reef to help protect by visiting the My Coral Triangle website. You'll find links to that at our webpage that's thenakedscientist.com forward slash oceans. Okay so that's my first top tip for an ocean friendly Christmas gift so Sarah what have you got for us?
3: Well, I've actually got another vaguely reef-related one. Uh, This is a great one for anyone out there who has or would like to have some tropical fish at home. And, you know, not everyone can go out to the coral reefs of Australia or the Pacific Islands like a lot of the very lucky researchers that we get to talk to. So, you know, why not have an aquarium at home? Well, now you can get your tropical reef fish guilt-free because EcoAquariums PNG, a company based in Papua New Guinea, is leading the way in sustainably caught aquarium fish i spoke to dan navin the director of eco aquariums to find out more about the company and how they're helping to preserve local reefs and also help local communities
5: so eco aquariums is a company that exports saltwater aquarium fish to uh, importers around the world Um, right now we have buyers in asia uh, london and north america and basically we are committed to um maintaining a sustainable aquarium fishery here in papua new guinea so the fish that we're marketing are um We're marketing them as the most sustainably collected and equitably traded aquarium fish in the world, which means that we aren't taking too many and we're also paying a fair price to the people who are doing the collecting. The ultimate goal is to basically make the aquarium fishery a very powerful coral reef conservation tool here in Papua New Guinea.
3: When we talk about sustainable in this context, what does this mean and how do you go about scientifically testing whether it is sustainable?
5: As far as our sustainability claims go, basically we are abiding by uh, total allowable catch limits or TACs that the PNG government establishes for us. So what the PNG government is doing is their their national fisheries authority is sending divers out under the reefs, and they're conducting belt transect surveys on every single reef that we collect from, from the, the outer reef slope to the reef crest, to the reef flats, seagrass areas, um, all of our collection zones. Basically, through their hundreds of replicates, they're establishing population estimates of all of our target species. And then from those estimates, they establish a catch limit. Um, and then basically, we have to abide by that catch limit. PNG is the only aquarium fish exporting country in the world that's conducting these kind of surveys to this kind of detail. And um, we're the only aquarium fishery in the world that has the actual scientific data to back up our claims of sustainability
3: and i understand that you also involve the local people too giving them an incentive to look after the reefs as well
5: that's right so all of the collection is done by the locals um in the coastal villages around central province of png so um Basically, we are uh, paying locals that have been trained in sustainable aquarium fish collection, which means they've been trained to gently collect the fish without breaking the corals, and um, we're, we're paying them per fish that they collect. So the whole idea is that we're employing average local coastal villagers to do this fish collection, and we're giving them an opportunity to earn a pretty good income off of fish that are otherwise totally worthless to them, the tiny, colorful reef fish. Probably our most popular fish right now is um is actually the, the, the Nemo amphipryon percula. Um even though it's a pretty common fish in the aquarium trade, the fish from the, the percula clowns from P and G are uh, very unique in their in their coloration. They have odd stripes and um lots of deep uh, pigmentation. Um in P and G these fish have absol- absolutely no value because there is no aquarium uh, fishery up until now. So these fish essentially were <laughs> You know, kind of nice to look at, but really had no value to the local people. They concentrated mostly on the larger fish, the food fish. Um, So by going into these villages and offering money for these fish that had no value, suddenly their their coral reef resource takes on a whole new meaning of um, economic opportunity, and it really reinforces their position to protect their corals and protect their reef from local pollution and destructive fishing.
3: Is sustainability within the aquarium trade as a whole quite a sort of unusual new concept?
5: Um, I think it's becoming more and more of a widespread concept, but I don't think it's um, actually being implemented uh, very widespread at all, and it certainly isn't being um, backed up by any kind of science outside of Papua New Guinea. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of talk of sustainability now, especially in the USA. Lots of people are promoting... um, Captive-bred fish, and they're kind of trying to steer people away from the wild-caught fish. So one of the biggest things that Eagle Aquariums, you know, says is that um, it's probably better to support a sustainable wild collection fishery than to support captive-bred uh, fisheries. Mainly because um, if you're supporting captive-bred fish, then you're kind of cutting out the the Pacific Islanders from the uh, from the market chain, which then takes away their their economic incentive to protect their coral reefs. So do
3: you hope that the way that eco aquariums runs things do you do you hope that this will be spread out elsewhere in the world elsewhere in the sort of tropical reef regions
5: absolutely yeah I mean eco aquariums is uh, trying to set the standard for the you know the the wild collection based aquarium fishery we're implementing a, a labeling and tagging system so all the fish that come out of Png have a label attached to them not actually attached to the fish but Attached to their fish bags, which uh, labels the fish clearly as originating from PNG, coming from eco aquariums. So, we're really marketing these fish as the sustainable alternative. They're very obvious, very easy for people to see, so they can make that uh, decision to support a more sustainable option. Um, and we're hoping that there is a huge demand for this and that it's going to force other companies to change their ways.
3: And of course, they're going to be available in Europe by Christmas. Are they, are they already available in other parts of the world?
5: Uh, They're going to be available in Singapore on Thursday, and uh, they're going to be available in North America very soon. So we are actually um, pretty much just in the startup phase right now. We'll be making our first exports to Asia this week, London before Christmas, and hopefully same with New York City. So these will be widely available uh, in the coming months.
3: So if you live in Asia or Europe, you can get those Nemo-style clownfish orders in before Christmas, though you'll have to wait a little longer in the United States. That was Dan Navin from EcoAquariums PNG, and you can find links to their website on our site. Now, let's take a quick break from all this talk of Christmas presents and have a quick look at some of the marine science and conservation news headlines this month. Helen, why don't you start us off?
2: OK, so I've got news of a new study that suggests a rather grim future lies ahead for coral reefs in acidic oceans. As levels of carbon dioxide build up in the atmosphere, it's not only leading to problems of climate change, but it's also dissolving in the oceans, causing the pH to drop. Studies have already shown that the oceans have become 30% more acidic since the Industrial Revolution, and that's the fastest rate of acidification in 55 million years. Well, now a research team led by Elizabeth Crook from the University of California, Santa Cruz, have been studying natural submarine springs called oyos that pour onto one of the Caribbean's largest reef ecosystems off the coast of the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Now, these waters have been flowing for thousands of years and they're naturally lower in pH than normal seawater. Well, the study published in the journal Coral Reefs revealed a decrease in coral species diversity and a decline in the size of coral colonies in areas closer to the oyos. They also found that at all 10 of the Oyo sites they looked at, three species of coral were actually observed to grow pretty well in acidic waters. The thing is that these aren't actually the corals that help build the reef framework. And so basically, this study suggests that as pH decreases in the ocean, the complex mix of reef-building coral species could be replaced by smaller, patchier colonies with reduced species diversity. So another piece of evidence that uh, the oceans really are facing a huge challenge ahead as changes taking place with things like acidification in the oceans.
3: Well, uh, another story, which is, again, another threat to the oceans from humans, uh, although this one's slightly yuckier than yours. Uh, It is very important, though. Uh, It's a study that suggests caffeine could be a useful new way of detecting when water, including in coastal areas, is contaminated with human sewage. At the moment, E. coli bacteria is the common indicator used to detect fecal pollution from stormwater discharge, but these bugs can come not just from human sewage, but also from agricultural runoff and industrial effluent. So taking water samples from various sources around the island of Montreal, Dr. Sébastien Sauvé and his team of chemists from the University of Montreal found a strong correlation between the presence of caffeine and E. coli, concluding that caffeine could be used as an indicator of pollution from sewer systems. They think that caffeine could be a useful marker because it stays in the environment for a fairly long time, around three months, and it's ingested more or less all around the world in tea and coffee and soft drinks, with about 3% of the caffeine that you drink passing right through you, into your urine, and ultimately making its way into water courses. And of course, the key point as well is that nothing else really produces caffeine in the world apart from humans and therefore human waste will be the pretty much one of the only things that contains it. So a very useful marker. But,
2: you know, a little bit of a yucky thought. Okay, well, finally for our news roundup this month, um, we don't actually often look into space for naked oceans. We usually leave that up to the guys over at Naked Astronomy. But this month saw the discovery of a vast body of water on Jupiter's moon Europa, which arouses intrigue in the quest for life in outer space. All very exciting. While lead scientist Brittany E. Schmidt from the University of Texas at Austin reported findings in the journal Nature of a body of water at the volume of the North American Great Lakes. It's huge area um, a huge volume of water under an ice cap on europa well studies suggest that the thick layer of ice on top of all this is collapsing and that could be allowing the mixing of nutrients from the ice into the liquid water and that basically gives europa and its ocean inhabitable qualities so watch this space yes it does seem to be that most of the research going on looking for life
3: uh, elsewhere in the the galaxy and the universe indeed is looking for liquid water because that is kind of one of the key components for life so yeah that is a really exciting finding uh well you'll find more details about all of these news stories and many more at our web page that's thenakedscientist.com forward slash oceans
4: from seagrass to sunfish dugongs to diatoms this is naked oceans
3: okay well we've just poured some more mild wine and we're going to have a mince, mince pie each pie. now all Ooh, nice and warm. warm all nice and warm now from it's... being on top of the fire mm. First mince pie of the year. Oh, I've already eaten practically my body weight in mince pies. So, uh right. So, uh Helen, you've got some you've got an amazing book here. This is another one of your Christmas gift
2: must-haves. Tell tell more. Yeah, absolutely. This is um what I've decided is my favourite ocean book of the year. It's called *The Rhyme of the Modern Mariner*. It's by um, by an illustrator called Nick Hayes, and basically it's a graphic novel that retells um, Samuel Coleridge's classic poem um, *The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner*. And um, he sort of he just basically moves the whole thing into the present day into a plastic-filled ocean and. Um, and the various modern threats that uh, the oceans face today. But the illustrations are just stunning. They're, I should say they're all in shades of blue. It looks, It's sort of reminiscent of um, the great wave um, of Kanagawa by um, by Hokusai. Um, and I just love the way the characters are there. I mean, a lot of the time, the main characters are sort of just looking really horrified at, um, at what's going on around him. Um, there's actually quite a lot of science in there as well. Um, I, I saw Nick Hayes do a lecture about this, and he did... Spent a lot of time doing the research into the species that were there, the problems and so on. So I can't recommend it enough. I don't want to give too much away because I think you just have to see it for yourself. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. It makes a lovely gift. Um, it's a great big sort of thick hardback with a, a ribbon to keep your place and stuff. And it's just, it's just gorgeous, isn't it? Sarah's having a look now. I think it's the first time she's seen it.
3: It is absolutely beautiful. The illustrations are fantastic. And it, it's, it's magical, actually. Really beautiful illustrations. And the different shades of blue. It really you know evokes evokes a sense of the ocean as well, so fantastic.
2: I do. I love it very much. I especially love the cameo played by the much-missed Roger Deakin and the appearance of sculptor David Nash's Ash Dome. But you're just going to have to have a look at it and find out what I'm talking about because it's just, it's a fantastic book. In fact, Nick's book is just one of the ones I picked out for the website The Browser when they recently asked me to name my top five books about the ocean. Um, and you can find out which other ones I picked by visiting thebrowser.com forward slash five books. Um, and we'll put some links to that on our website as well.
3: Well, moving away from gifts to perhaps thinking about the sort of things we might eat over Christmas, not just these very tasty mince pies. Uh, It's, you know, Christmas is a time where we treat ourselves to special food that we wouldn't necessarily eat all year round. And uh, one of my very favourite things to eat is, I confess, lobster. Definitely just a special occasion treat. Uh, And now a British company, Wing of St. Moore's, is offering to donate 50 pence to the National Lobster Hatchery for every lobster bought through their website. The lobsters are caught in Cornwall which is also where the hatchery is based. And the hatchery does some brilliant, important work to help maintain lobster numbers around the Cornish coast. Fishermen bring in females that are brooding eggs to the hatchery, where the eggs are then reared until the little tiny juvenile lobsters grow up to be about three months old, and then they're released back into the coastal waters around Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly. And I think, Helen, you you mentioned that uh, when we were talking about this, that they have to be grown in little individual
2: pots in case they eat each other. Yeah, that's right. So juvenile um, lobsters are voraciously carnivorous and uh, they're basically cannibals and they uh, they will will eat each other if if they're given the chance. So they raise them in what basically looks like um, ice cube trays, little white pockets, um, with one little lobster in each pocket. And it's extraordinary to think that these tiny little larvae are going to grow into these great big lobsters. But, uh, but fantastic work that they're putting them back in the sea. And presumably, I mean, is this... Do we know the effect that this re- these releases are having on local populations? Do we know that they're doing better because of the hatchery? There isn't actually any information on their
3: website about that, but we already know that it's it's a really tiny proportion of lobster juveniles or larvae that survive to adulthood in the wild because of predation and chance of starvation, you know, not, not having enough of food. So being able to grow them in a ha- in the hatchery and then release them when they're at an age where they can fend for themselves and things you know that's a really good idea um actually the national lobster hatchery also has some fantastic gifts on their website uh you can buy santa Claus, which is a little cuddly oh, lobster no. with a santa hat i know fantastic <laughs> pun there uh you can get christmas cards and you can even sponsor a lobster and name it after a loved one before it gets released into the sea i don't know if it then gets caught and eaten you'll then Naming a lobster after a loved one and then it's going to get eaten. I don't know how well that will actually go down. Uh, We've got links to both the Wing of St. Moore's and the National Lobster Hatchery websites on our site. So do check them out if you're after an
2: unusual oceans-based gift this Christmas. Yeah, nothing says I love you like um, a baby lobster, frankly. That's wonderful. Well, talking of seasonal seafood, um, it's also the time of year when there are R's in the month. So the old wives' tale goes, it's okay to eat shellfish. Um, But here in the UK, there's been a bit of a scare with oysters and a report that's come out from the Food Standards Authority revealing that three quarters of oysters recently tested from 39 production sites across the UK were found to harbour the winter vomiting virus, aka norovirus. Not fun at all. If you've had it, you know just how nasty it can be. Well, officials declared it was very difficult to say What the actual health risks are of these findings, since apparently it's difficult to tell apart which bits of the oysters are infectious and which are not. Um, And a review is actually underway at the moment with the European Food Safety Authority to decide just what safe levels um, for norovirus are in oysters. But over in France, oysters are actually doing really badly. They've been hit really hard by the oyster herpes virus. So UK producers are basically facing the choice of either making a bunch of cash right now by selling all their stocks to France because they love their oysters this time of year or whether they should hang on to them for British consumers... Assuming we're not all put off by this whole story about the norovirus. Well, to be honest, you know, the jury's out. is just to how safe these things are to eat. But um, until, personally, I think until, until they've figured out what safe levels are for norovirus... I'm going to give them a bit of a wide berth, to be
3: honest. Well, I always give them a wide berth because I think they're horrible. I really don't like the texture. I just, oh, I think they're revolting. Uh, and also, you may remember that back in February, we covered a paper published by Michael Beck and his colleagues at the University of California, Santa Cruz, that said that 85% of all oyster reefs have been lost globally. So, you know, yet another from a conservation point of view, not just from a health point of view, because, you know, No one wants to be having the vomiting virus at this time of year. But from a conservation point of view as well, it
2: might be best to stay away from oysters altogether. That's true. That's true. Although lots of them are farmed as well. But that's got a whole load of other issues associated with it you're listening to Naked Oceans. Um, It's Christmas, you may have noticed. We're giving you a rundown of our top ocean-friendly gifts um, for this time of year. So if you want any ideas of what to give your ocean-loving family and friends, then this is the place to find it out. So far, we've had um, buying people a bit of coral reef, eco-friendly pets. But now, how about some ocean-friendly greetings cards? Well, you can't get much better than the gorgeous collection of animated e-cards made by designers Joe Tyler and Joe Jones at Joe and Joe. Cards. That's first Joe without and second Joe with an E. Um, well, these aren't like any other E cards available. They feature manta rays and Christmas tree worms, my favourite. And there's a brilliant little animation where a red nudibranch basically gets put in place. Um, as, as Rudolph's red nose it's fantastic. And they also have the 12 fishes of Christmas. Hooray! On the 12th day of
4: Christmas, my true love sent to me. 12 puffers puffing <laughs> 11 pipefish piping <laughs> 10 families <was> fanning
5: <laughs> 9 more race <rays> gaping <laughs> 8 shrimp-sized <laughs> <Eight laughs> <tricks> glinting <laughs> 7 clams are clamping <laughs> 6 harrowfish <laughs> <Six> crunching <laughs>
2: And what's more, if you sign up for Joe and Joe's e-cards, as well as having a whole range of fun animations and seasonal messages to choose from, they will also donate a proportion of their proceeds to Paddy's Project Aware, which supports all sorts of marine conservation activities around the world. Well, how did all this get started? So Joe and Joe were originally graphic designers who loved to scuba dive in their spare time. Um, And they were so inspired by the undersea world that they started making these lovely animated e-cards, just for fun really. Um, But it's got them involved in a whole new area of work.
4: From these cards, we then started getting inquiries to create animations for organisations. The first people that approached us were the uh, Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority, um, and they asked us to make some films for children about climate change and how climate change was going to impact the Great Barrier Reef. The Three different films. Uh, what is climate change? What are the impacts of climate change? And what is coral bleaching? Which is something which you know, had never been explained very easily. And, you know, there was still quite a lot of debate about what it was, what the extent of it was. So we created these three films for children, and they were, you know, they were really well received. And so basically since then, we've turned our whole business to focus on using animation to explain scientific concepts with an environmental focus
2: some of your videos are absolutely brilliant i mean i think we can only encourage listeners to go and have a look at your website and uh, check some of the stuff out that the latest one i've seen is bernard the gurnard who's fantastic <laughs> <Thank> you, <yeah. laughs> and that's a that's a campaign for creating protected areas um, here in the uk isn't it
4: yeah we've been working uh, with the wildlife trust for, for several years now on different campaigns and um, bernard the gurnard first made an appearance a couple of years ago as part of the original campaign to get a marine bill in place because basically in the uk they there is, no, there is almost zero protection for anything in the sea. If you want to go and dig up the seabed because you think there's some minerals there or something, you can pretty much do what you like. And as a result of that, you know, the, um, you know we're losing species left, right and centre. So we created Bernard the Gurnard, who was this impatient Bernard tapping his spines on a rock, um, saying basically, you know, I'm waiting for some protection. Will you humans hurry up and get me some?
2: Now, I've not lost hope. I'm a positive, optimistic kind of fish. I have a dream, a utopia, a marine-protected area where everybody lives in harmony with everyone else. I want a place where the starfish can play. I want a place where the dolphins can jump. I want a place where the humans can swim around in the ocean. I want you in here as well. You like splashing around in the water. You dive in it, you swim in it, you paddle in it. You complain it's always cold, it's always got seaweed in it. But also, you'd be surprised at how much you rely on it for all
5: sorts of things.
4: This drove many thousands of people to an online petition, which was part of the Wildlife Trust's effort in getting the the Marine Bill passed, which it was. Now we're at the stage where the Marine Bill is liable to get watered down to the point that it doesn't mean anything because of commercial interests and politicians doing what politicians do so it's very important that people get on board and make sure that we actually get marine protected areas around the UK coast.
2: What animal next or what creatures next for the e-cards? We've been, uh,
4: the, the, most, the most common request we get, and I think it's because I, I, I made a post somewhere that said, please don't ask us to do this because it's so difficult, is, is uh, an octopus. Um, <laughs>
5: because
4: Excellent. it's probably got about a thousand moving parts um, and it's difficult to animate naturally. So that's the next big challenge, I think.
2: I think you should do a mimic octopus. That's even trickier.
4: <laughs> yeah, yep. <yeah. laughs> that would be good. That would be good.
2: Oh, excellent! Well, I look forward to seeing your your octopus. And uh, are there any uh, any upcoming campaigns? New ones coming out, or are they all? Do you, do you have to keep quiet about them until they're actually out?
4: We have to keep quiet about some of them. Um, although we're doing quite a lot of work with sea life, they do a lot of conservation work, and they've never really talked about it very much but behind the scenes in most of the sea life aquariums there's a lot of amazing sort of uh, you know like seahorse breeding programs and things like this going on and uh, they're involved in quite a lot of animal uh, rescue sanctuaries as well at different locations around the world um so we've got some uh, animations now in the in the london aquarium talking about general sort of marine environmental issues such as marine uh, marine debris and um, uh, some some of these sustainable fishing uh, issues which obviously affect everything. Um and we're going to be rolling out a whole new bunch of those um over the over the next year or so. One thing which we're doing a lot of work on at the moment, and this is developing, so people are generally used to seeing campaign animation, uh, but essentially it's a character telling a story. Now, that works very, very well for a known audience. So the Wildlife Trust know the sort of people that they're talking to. And so they knew that Bernard the Gernard was going to go down well with them, and they were going to engage with it. If you're trying to reach a much wider audience than that, character animation doesn't necessarily work so well, because you can easily get it wrong. Uh, there's a lot of cultural you know, specifics which make it work. So we're developing this format called Explanimation. If, if you imagine taking an illustration and using animation to illustrate a concept or a process or a device as efficiently as possible, using the minimum amount of detail with you know the maximum amount of key information. Now, with predictions that online video use is going to uh, effectively be 90% of all internet traffic within the next couple of years, video is established as a format Within that, there's animation. Within that, there's explanation. And we think this is going to be the next big thing.
2: So, to meet Bernard the Gurnard, whose voice comes courtesy of wildlife presenter Nick Baker, and check out many more great animations, have a look at Joe and Joe's website. That's archipelago.co.uk. And if you fancy sending some seasonal fishy Christmas cards this year, pay a visit to Joe and Joe's cards at joeandjoe.com. And uh, make sure that when you do, you enter the word AWARE into the form when you sign up so that you get that proportion of the proceeds going to Project Wear. And you'll find links to all of that at our website.
3: Well, that just about wraps up this festive episode of Naked Oceans. Uh, The mulled wine is almost gone, and so are the mince pies. So, feeling quite merry now. But just before we go, let's quickly catch up with a marine expert and ask them if they were a marine critter, which one they'd be, and why. Here's our critter of the month.
0: Uh, My name is Joshua Drew. I'm a research biologist here at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, Illinois, and my favorite marine creature is the cleaner wrasse, Labroides dimidiatus. This fish is just Amazing. Every time I go underwater and I see it, I mesmerized by it. It does so many, many interesting things. The thing that I find most interesting about the cleaner wrasse is that, like the name suggests, they perform a cleaning service. And what will happen is that these fish will sit out pretty obviously on the reef, and they advertise their presence by bobbing up and down. And what will happen next is that other fish that have a lot of parasites will come up to these cleaning stations and sit there and hover with their mouths open. And the cleaner wrasse will pick all over the fish, taking off ectoparasites like little isopods or uh, in some cases even leeches. And it will clean up all the different groupers and wrasses that come through. And this is a, not only a really important ecological service because it's been shown that when you remove cleaner wrasses, the species diversity on reefs go down. But as you can imagine, it actually performs a very valuable health service for the fish being cleaned. And we've had other different studies shown that when you remove cleaner wrasses, the parasite load, perhaps not surprisingly, on those fish shoots up and their overall health diminishes. So the cleaner wrasse is a really interesting fish for me because it provides such useful service that even though it in and of itself is a bite-sized meal, it can enter into the mouths of predatory fishes like groupers and snappers with impunity because it's more worthwhile for those groupers and snappers to have those parasites removed than it is to grab a little snack. Now, the other thing that's really cool about this is that there are two other species of fish that actually mimic the cleaner wrasse. So they look just like the cleaner ass, but they have these really long, nasty fangs. And they'll swim just the same way that the cleaner ass does. And when an unsuspecting grouper or snapper or parrotfish comes up to the, the mimic and presents itself to get cleaned, instead of having, all, say, the isopods removed from it or the parasites removed from it, these mimics will come up and they'll take a little bite out of the fish and then dart off into a hole before the fish who was hoping to get a cleaning and instead got a little nip taken out of them can retaliate. And I think that's just a really interesting example of of mimicry and evolution on coral reef fishes. And the cleaner wrasse is just one of those characteristic members of Indo-Pacific reef fish fauna. And they're just an amazing little guy to watch.
3: That was Joshua Drew from the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, introducing us to the important little fish, the cleaner wrasse, and some of its sneaky impersonators and you can listen to lots more oceans expert picking their top critters at our website that's thenakedscientist.com forward slash
2: oceans well that's all we've got time for on naked oceans this month and indeed for this year so we hope you've enjoyed our pick of fishy ocean friendly christmas gifts it just remains for me to say a big thank you to leader pet suda joe jones dan Naven, and joshua drew We'll be back in the new year with more ocean science and conservation. So until then, you can find us on Twitter at Naked Oceans. You can email us. The address is nakedoceans at thenakedscientist.com. And as always, you'll find more info on this month's show and all the others at thenakedscientist.com forward slash oceans. Well, from all of us here at Naked Oceans, have a very happy festive holiday. And to play us out, here's the rest of Joe and Joe's wonderful 12 fishes of Christmas. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Six parafish crunching Five golden jacks Four rinkings
4: with three swimming seals Two sea And a clownfish and anemone. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket?